0: So I could have you turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7 this morning. We'll be taking a look at the whole chapter. So I don't know about you, but when, when you were in grade school, the thing that I always look forward to in the future was summer. That was the big deal to me. You know, I wanted to get away from that slavery of the classroom, the, the tests and the papers and all that stuff, and I wanted to play all summer long and i couldn't wait for that turning of the corner that last bell on the last day and i was free. Well right now in Daniel we're doing a shift and we're going to look with anticipation to future events. The first 6 chapters of Daniel's chapters 1 through 6 are written in what we call historical narrative. There's stories about events that actually happened in Daniel's life and they're in Babylon and how evil men tried to hurt Daniel and his friends, the people of Israel, but God came to the rescue. Now in chapters 7 through 12, it's apocalyptic literature. It's a a different way to write. And apocalyptic literature is where God gives a vision to someone and then they write it down for God's people to read for instruction. And that's what we see here with Daniel. We're going to find here in Daniel chapter 7 that it's closely related to Daniel chapter 2, And if you remember in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a statue. And that statue had different parts of metal and each part on that statue represented a kingdom. If you remember, the head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian kingdom. And then we had the arms and the breast of silver and that represented the Medes and the Persians. Then you had the waist area which was bronze and that represented Greece and Alexander the Great, and then you had the legs of iron, and that represented Rome, and then the feet of iron and clay, which represented other kingdoms that would come after Rome. Well, we're going to see here in Daniel chapter 7 that there's going to be another vision. And in that vision, there's going to be these beasts, but they're going to re- also represent these same kingdoms. And we're going to talk that through. But one thing that this that's happening here in Daniel when this was written is Daniel and the people of Israel that were taken into captivity have been if you will, in Babylon for about 50 years now. And I think they're beginning to wonder, is God ever going to release us? Because world events were swirling, Belshazzar is going to be king, and Daniel's beginning to wonder, is, who's in control here? I mean, is God in control? And isn't that what's happening today? So many things are happening in this world, and we begin to question, even as God's people, who's in control? I mean, who's steering this ship? Well, we're going to find out from this section today That God is truly in control. So we're going to take this in sections, Daniel 7, verses 1 through 8. Let's read it together. It says In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. And he wrote the dream down and he related the following summary of it Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. And the first was like a lion, and it had wings of an eagle. And it kept looking until the wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was also given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side. Three ribs were in its mouth, between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat." After this, I kept looking, and behold, another one like a leopard, which was on its back, four wings of a bird, and the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth, and it devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns." And while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up from among them. And the three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. What we'll first see from this section here is that we know that God's in control because He has predetermined what human kingdoms will rule on this earth. We need to understand that God is sovereign. And the time and the expanse of nations are in God's hands. God is not inactive. He's active in the process of placing kingdoms in this world. Now, it says here in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel has this vision. And we know from history that Belshazzar's reign as co-regent with his father Nabonibus started in 553 B.C., And 14 years later, we know that Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians in 539 B.C. And we know that Daniel, when he was captured by the Babylonians, he was captured in 605 B.C. So around here, Daniel's somewhere around 70 years old because he was somewhere between 15 to 18 years old when he was captured. And when Nebuchadnezzar died and Belshazzar took over, Babylon started a great slide. This was an evil king. And I think the Jewish people are beginning to question, oh my gosh, are we ever going to be freed from this land? Are we ever going to be brought back to the promised land? Has God forsaken us? And so God brings this vision of future events and future kingdoms to Daniel. And it says here that Daniel wrote down the dream. Again, that's apocalyptic literature. He's writing down this dream. And in the vision, he sees this great sea and these beasts coming out of the sea. And you need to understand that, that apocalyptic literature, the visions are not to be taken literally. They're descriptions of things to come. They mean something else, but they're, they're very broad and they're, they're very powerful. And so he sees this sea, and, and most scholars feel that the sea represents chaos and turmoil in the world. And out of this sea, these four different beasts come out. And we know from Daniel 7, 17. If you want to look down at verse 17, it says that these great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings that will arise from the earth. Okay. We know that these beasts that are coming out are going to be kings or kingdoms. It can can mean either. And the first one is like a lion that has eagle's wings on its back and then the wings are plucked out. And the beast that was a lion, it corresponds to Daniel chapter 2. Where the first thing we saw in Daniel chapter 2 in that statue was a head of gold, which was Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. And here in this vision in Daniel chapter 7, some details are added that really fit with who Nebuchadnezzar was in the Babylonian kingdom. The tearing off of the animal's wings could symbolize when Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, if you'll remember. He was brought low in Daniel chapter 4, and he literally lost his mind and became like an animal and ate grass for seven years. And then it says that this beast was given the mind of a man. This is a restoration when Nebuchadnezzar got his mind back and his sanity, and it stood on two feet. I think this is a great symbol for Nebuchadnezzar. It's interesting to note that Nebuchadnezzar actually made two gigantic statues out of pure gold of a lion, and they were like guarding the gates, the main entrance into Babylon. Babylon. And when you walked in, there was like a portico. It was these walls, and they had these plaster lions all over them. A lion represents Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. We need to remember that God is active in determining the kingdoms of the earth. As a matter of fact, this is one of the main themes of the whole book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 37, Daniel said this. He said, You, O King Nebuchadnezzar, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. Church, the world's going crazy. It is nuts. I mean, we got the Ebola deal. We got ISIS going crazy. We had a shooting this last week, and it looks like things are out of control, but God is in control. And he's the one in charge of putting people in rule or taking them out of rule, of establishing kingdoms or breaking down kingdoms. Paul the Apostle put it like this in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. He said, Every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. He also said in Acts 17, 26, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their inhabitations. God is not passive, Wondering, gee whiz, I wonder what's going to happen. God is actively involved in the establishments of the kingdoms. Where we struggle is when we see evil. And we think, how can God be involved with that? God can take any evil intent of man and turn it on its head and use it for his good and for glory's sake. And I think this, this vision is given to Daniel to bring comfort and knowledge for him to knowing that God is not disengaged, but God's actively engaged in the affairs of men. And I take great comfort in knowing this, that our God is in control. So the first beast is like this lion that has wings plucked out. The second beast, it looks like a bear and it has three ribs in its mouth. Verse 5 says, behold, another beast, the second one resembling a bear. And it's raised up on one side and it has these three ribs. And we know in Daniel chapter 2 that the second kingdom, the one of silver, which was the arms and the breast, that was the Medes and the Persians. Now, we know that a bear, it loves to, to, it's very powerful. And actually, bears love to eat meat. You know, remember those National Geographic pictures of the bears standing in the streams and they're catching fish, right, with their mouths? And you've heard the stories of bears attacking people and mauling them and killing them and eating them and all those things. Well, bears are very powerful. It's a very good picture of the Medo Persian Empire. And those three ribs that are in its mouth represent the three kingdoms that the Medo Persian Empire destroyed Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon. Babylon was the the lion. Medo-Persian is the bear. And then you see the third beast. It's like a leopard that had wings of a bird. In verse 6, it says that there was a leopard that had uh, on its back four wings of a bird, and it says that it had four heads, and a dominion was given to it. Well, there's no better animal to represent Alexander the Great in, in in Greece than a leopard. Because Alexander the Great Conquered all the nations of that known world very quickly, within twelve years, total victory. And that those wings on the back of that leopard represent speed and power. It's a very powerful animal. And it's a great representation of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, his kingdom extended from the eastern Mediterranean in the west all the way to India in the east. And then Alexander in three twenty-four BC he returned to Babylon and he visited the tomb of Cyrus the King. And he wanted to rebuild Babylon, but within a year he died. And that fulfilled the prophecy in Jeremiah that said that the city would never be fully rebuilt. This is helpful for us, guys, because we have already seen three kingdoms have come to pass. Now, remember, Daniel, this is all future. He he hasn't seen any of it. But we have. God is in control. These things have already happened These three kingdoms have already been established, have already come to pass, and then we come, if you will, to this fourth beast. Another interesting thing about Alexander the Great, when he died, there were four generals that took over and established four sections of his kingdom that represented by the four heads. But then you see this fourth beast in verses seven and eight. And this is like nothing Daniel has ever seen, and and a bulk of this message will be focused on this fourth beast. He says, after this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. It was dreadful and terrifying, and extremely strong. It had large iron teeth. It devoured and it crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the other beasts before it. And it had ten horns. That's very important. And while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a, a little one, came up among them. And three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots. And behold, the horn possessed eyes, the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. Now if you remember in Daniel chapter 2, the legs were made of iron and they represented Rome and then the feet were of iron and clay and they represented other kingdoms that would be established after Rome. But I think it's helpful for us to understand that this is going to take a little different look at this last kingdom. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 33 and 34, it says the legs its legs of iron and its feet partly of iron and clay. And when, you, when Daniel was continuing to look, a stone was cut without hands and it struck the statue on the feet of iron and clay and it crushed them. So if you remember that vision, you have this statue and then this gigantic stone not cut with hand smashes into the statue. It's representing Christ and his coming kingdom destroying the world's kingdoms. But if you think about it, when did Jesus break into history? He broke in when Rome was established, right? And we know that, that, that he came as a man, the incarnation, and, he, and literally the kingdom of God broke into time and space. As a matter of fact, when Jesus first preached, he literally said this in Mark 15.1, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Do you realize that the kingdom of God is at hand right now here on earth and it resides in you? You've been given the Holy Spirit of God. And the kingdom of God is already but not yet in its fullness. But what we see here in this vision in Daniel chapter 7 begins with Rome, but I think it moves past Rome and really is the system that Rome established, which is called imperialism. And imperialism is the policy of extending nation's authority by the acquisition or influence over other nations. very helpful book, and you might want to write this down, very helpful to understand this, is written by a gentleman by the name of Arnold G. Frutenbaum, and it's entitled The Footsteps of the Messiah, and it really helped me with this section. And I want to share with you some of his insights, because this last beast is actually going to come in four, five different stages, five different kingdoms, if you will. And the first stage is the united stage. The first stage is the united stage. And this is united Rome. When Rome first began, it was united. And wherever they went, they established, if you will, Rome in that place. And everything was to benefit Mother Rome. But but towards around the 300s, Rome shifted and the second stage came about. And it was a two-division stage. And we see this in Daniel chapter 2 with the vision of the statue. It had two legs of iron separated because Rome split east and west. West held the majority of the power until 476 A.D. And then the East held the power all the way till 1453 A.D. when it fell to the Visigoths. But the power in the East and West ever since then has shifted to different countries, hasn't it? And it's spread. I mean, as right now, the majority of the power in the world really is held by us in the West, right? We're the strongest nation. But we all know that could shift. I mean, you see in China... Gaining a lot of power right now. Look at the stuff in the Middle East. Never know where the power is going to be held there. So things are shifting. So we see with Rome there were two stages that we've already seen in history. You had the United stage and you had the two-division stage. But there's going to be a third stage that hasn't happened yet, and this is going to be a one-world government stage. If you look down at Daniel chapter 7, verse 23... It says that this fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on earth which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. Well, we know that can't be Rome because Rome didn't devour the whole earth. It devoured a section of the planet, but it didn't devour the whole earth. But this coming one world government, we could call it a new world order. You hear that word tossed around a lot now by different politicians. This will come about it's very possible that this could happen in our lifetime. I mean, everything is set up right now where it's possible. Everything's internet, right? We have access to instant banking, instant funds. Governments now are connecting like never before. You have a united European Union. You have all these things taking place where this one world government's very possible. So that's the third stage, a one world government stage. Then there's a fourth stage. This is known as the 10 division stage and it's found both in Daniel chapter 2 and in Daniel chapter 7. Look at Daniel chapter 7 verse 7. It says, After this I kept looking in the night visions and behold a fourth beast. It was dreadful and terrifying. It was extremely strong. It had large iron teeth it devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the other beasts that were before it. And it says, And it had 10 horns. These 10 horns they represent... Ten different kings or kingdoms. And so there's going to be this one world government, but out of that will spring ten different rulers, if you will, that will kind of oversee the world affairs. And they will have power for a time, but out of them will come the last stage. And that last stage will be the Antichrist stage. This is a future event where these ten kingdoms, if you will, there'll be one that comes out of them that will take power. Look at verse 8. It says, While I was contemplating the horns, now the horns are the ten kingdoms, another horn, a little one, came up from among them, and three of the first horns, they were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, the horns possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and uttered great boasts. So out of this ten kingdom stage will come the final stage on earth, and we'll call it the Antichrist stage he will have someone who, when he comes, he's going to destroy three of the kingdoms. They're going to fall. And then the other seven will be in subjection to him and then they'll rule the earth under his reign. But one thing's very important here. It says here that he uttered a great boasts. This is a man who hates God. He blasphemes God and he will blaspheme God's people. You see it in four different verses. Look at verse eight. It said, this horn possessed eyes like a man uttering great boasts. And verse 11, It says, then I kept looking because the sound of boastful words which the horn was speaking. In verse 20, it says that that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts. And In verse 25, it says, he will speak out against the Most High. This man is against God. And he's against God's people. And he he will do everything he can to stop the work of God. With all this being said, one thing became very clear to me as I looked at this. God rules history. God already knows the events that will take place. And God is the one giving this vision to Daniel. Why? So his people will know. That we can know that things aren't out of control, but God is in control. And even things look really bad and crazy, crazy, crazy. God has not stepped off the throne even when things look dire. And empires are going to come and empires are going to go. But our God does not move. And He has a purpose within it and He will use it. And you can take great comfort, even those gigantic events are taking place before our eyes. There is a coming day when our King, Jesus Christ, will rule and reign. Now, one thing that happens in life is sometimes we see all these big events and we think, wow, where is God? But Let's be honest, doesn't God sometimes peel back the veil a little bit and let us see, even in our own life, events that take place we say, wow, there he is. I was just talking to a brother before the service and he was sharing with me something that God did while he was at a Home Depot. But I read a story about a Christian missionary in 1986. His name is Steve Saint. And he was traveling through Mali. And his car broke down. There's a Sahara Desert right there and you don't want to be stranded in Mali And so he started to freak out a little bit because he was alone, he didn't know what to do. And he saw some natives going by and he asked them if there was a church nearby that maybe he could get somebody that could help him with his car. And they brought him to this this church. But one thing he said is that when his car broke down, he began to question God. He was frustrated and he felt like his faith was weak and he began to, to question God about his father's death. You see, his father had died 30 years earlier, and his name was Nate Saint. And Steve Saint was his son. And he had died in Ecuador. And many of us know that Jim Elliot was part of that group that were killed in Ecuador. And so this, these, these tribal people take him to this pastor, and, and this pastor's name was Nua, And he had a little mud shack as a church. And Noah began to to talk to Steve about his faith in Christ, how he became a Christian from, from being in Islam and, and how his whole family disowned. And even his mother tried to kill him and poison him, but God had protected his life. And so Steve asked him, where did your courage come from? I mean, how did you learn to stand and trust God through difficult situations? And Nuah said, well, when I was a young Christian, a missionary gave me some books on other missionaries. And he said, and, and I read about these stories, he said, and my favorite one was, was about five young men who risked their lives to take the good news of the gospel to the people in the jungles of Ecuador. And the book told me that these men allowed themselves to be speared to death even though they had guns and they could have killed them. And utterly shocked, Steve said, one of those men were my father. And UA said, your father? He said, because I read that book It helped to sustain my faith when I was at my weakest point because so many were against me because I used to be Muslim, but now I was a Christian and I was able to hold on to my faith. Sometimes God will peel back the veil just enough to let us know, yes, He's on the throne. Steve Saint, he needed to be encouraged, he needed to know that God was there and right there. He says, Wow, He knew about my father. My father's death had purpose and it strengthened him to continue on in the mission. Guys, we know that God is in control because he's predetermined what human kingdoms will rule on this earth. There's a second thing we see. God's in control because he's predetermined Jesus' return and the reign on this earth. Scripture's clear. Jesus is going to be crowned king and he will reign eternally. Look at verses 9 through 14. It says, I kept looking until the thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And his vesture was like white as snow, and his hair on his head was pure wool, and his throne was ablaze with flames. And his wheels were burning with fire, and a river of fire was flowing and coming from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. And the court sat, and the books were opened. And then I kept looking, because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking, and I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. And I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion was an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now, verse 9 is an abrupt transition from this vision he has of this ocean going out of control. Suddenly, he's in the throne room of God. Look at verse 9. He says, I kept looking until the thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. As soon as I read that, I thought of Isaiah 6 where it says that God is seated on the throne and and the train of his robe fills the temple. This is the glory of God here. But it's not only a throne room, this is a courtroom. This is a judgment going on here. And in the context of this passage, there's a judgment that's going to come upon this Antichrist, this evil one, this this little horn that becomes powerful. If you look at verse 10, it says that the books were open. This is a picture of the great white throne judgment. And we know from Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and 12. Listen to what in Revelation 20, verse 11 and 12 says. It says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And the earth and the sky, they fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. same books. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in The books. So in verse 10, we see that the books are open, and these books is everything that a person does. And these books are for those that do not know Christ. If you're born again, if you know Jesus Christ, then you're not in the books, you're in the book of life. But if you don't know Him today, then your name's written, and all your deeds are in these books. You don't want to be standing there during the great white throne judgment when the books are open. You want to see only one book open when you're standing there, not the books. And in the context here, there's a judgment that's coming on this Antichrist because he keeps blaspheming God. In fact, is in this section here, it looks like even in the throne room, he's blaspheming God. Look at verse 11. It says, then I came, kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words of the horn that was speaking, and I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body was destroyed and given into the burning fire. This is the same connection here as Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. that says, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, and the beast and the false prophet all are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's coming a day when the Antichrist will be destroyed. He'll have a short period of time. will he'll have power, but one day he will be judged. Now, Daniel chapter seven verse twelve was kind of a kind of a confusing verse, but I think I can explain it. Look at verse twelve. It says, "For the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time." Now we know who those other beasts are, right? We'd already seen them. They're Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, in Greece. And that extension of life given to each of those empires, I think, is the influence that they have in the preceding empire. So when Babylon was conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire still influenced the Medo-Persian Empire for a time. And then when the Medo-Persian Empire was defeated by Greece, Greece was impacted by Persia, and some of their things were adopted, even some of their laws. And then when Greece was conquered by Rome, we know that the main language that Rome adopted was Greek. In fact, as in Jesus' day, that was the main language. So, if you will, the influence of those empires went on for a time. That's what it means there. But a major shift happens between verse 12 and verse 13 because the scene changes. You have this courtroom of judgment, and all of, all of a sudden in verse 13, you have a celebration, a coronation of a king. This is the celebration of Jesus being made king over the world and dominion. He's given full power and full reign. Look at verses 13 and 14. Guys, this is the greatest event in all history and eternity right here. He said, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man, was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away And his kingdom, one which will not be destroyed. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament point to this major event. If you remember, David, he wanted to build God a temple. But the Lord said, you can't build me a temple because you're a man of blood. But he made him a promise. Listen to the promise given to David in 2 Samuel seven sixteen. It says, your house is... And your kingdom shall endure before me forever and your throne shall be established forever. From David's seed came the Messiah, which is Jesus Christ. And one day that throne will be established. And we know the New Testament speaks clearly about this coronation, this coming of Christ, this, this establishment of his reign on the earth. Philippians 2, 8 through 11 says, Jesus being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, And for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow to those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This day is set in the stone. And we can take great comfort as God's church that God knows. God is in control here. Now, some people might start asking, well, how do we know that this Son of Man is Jesus? Well, understand that in the Bible, 88 different times when that name, Son of Man, is used, it's spoken of the Messiah. And when Jesus spoke about himself, how did he refer to himself? He referred to himself as the Son of Man. I'll give you three examples. When Jesus was speaking about his itinerant ministry, in Matthew 8, 20, he said, Foxes have holes, the birds of air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus said to his disciples, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed to the hand of sinners. And then in the the courtroom, if you will, with Caiaphas, the high priest, Caiaphas asked him, Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Jesus responded, You've said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is Jesus Christ here. And right there in Daniel, when it says that he is the Son of Man, one day that throne will establish, God knows. This is in stone. It's going to happen. God is in control. Our world seems out of control, but our God is not out of control. He has it in the very palms of his hand. And again, we get concerned because sometimes we don't think we can see God working. But he works in some of the smallest ways, doesn't he, in life? I was was talking to a friend this past Thursday, and tragedy struck my friend. He he lost his wife in April. But God used that, and he began to seek Christ, and he came to Christ about three months ago. And through that experience, though, he's still grieving over his wife, and and he's still kind of struggling, if you will, with, I don't know if you'd call it depression, but he's sad, and he just doesn't feel right. So he went to his doctor and said, you know, I, I don't really feel right. And his doctor's a wise man, so his doctor started asking him questions, says, you know, do you have a lot of friends? And no, not really. And he said, how about hobbies? No, not a lot of hobbies. He says, you know, do you have any friends or any any activities? He says, well, I just became a Christian. And every week, I talk to a friend of mine. That's me. And we talk on the phone. And the doctor said, "Well, well, do you belong to a church? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I just started at a church, and it's called Journey Church. And the doctor started to laugh and said, that's my church. I thought, how cool is that? And then the t- doctor started to minister to my friend and encourage him in his faith. Guys, that's God. Why? God's in control. The small things and the big things. So we know that God's in control. Why? Because he's, he's predetermined the human kingdoms that will rule here on the earth. He's predetermined that Jesus will return and reign here on the earth. And we have this last one. God is in control because he predetermined the future reign of his saints. That's you and me. This is verses 15 through 28. It says, For as for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. And I approached one of those who was standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. And so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in number and four kings who will rise from the earth, But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, and its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and, and the other horn which came up before which three of them fell, namely that the horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boast, which was larger in appearance than its associate's. And I kept looking, and that horn waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said, "'The fourth beast will be the fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise.' And another will arise after them and he will be different from the previous ones and he will subdue three kings and he will speak out against the most high and he will wear down the saints of the highest one and he will intend to make alterations in the times and the law and they will be given into his hand for a time and a times and a half a time. But the court will sit for judgment and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever." And then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions will serve and obey him. And at this point, the revelation ended, and as for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself." So in verses 15 through 17, you see that Daniel's deeply disturbed. I mean, think about it. He's just seen this vision that's gone all over the place. He saw an ocean and these beasts coming out. He he saw the great white throne jumping. He saw this horn speaking blasphemies. I mean, he's confused. And so in that confusion, he goes up to someone who's next to him, which I believe is an angel. And the angel starts out in verse 17 by explaining that the great beasts are four in number, are four kings or kingdoms that will arise on the earth. But then I love what the angel does next. I mean, he could have just gone on there and talked about all the bad stuff, but look what, look what he does in verse 18. He gives the hope. Verse 18, he says, but the saints of the highest one will receive a kingdom and will possess the kingdom forever and ever to come. This angel knows this is tough stuff because what we just read is this horn, this this. Antichrist, this this evil one, is going to have a period of time where he's going to be able to make it very difficult on God's people and bring pain. But this angel right here made a little promise, and it's a great promise for us that we were going to co-reign with our Lord. We may suffer in this life, but take heart, Jesus said. I've overcome the world. And we know from what Pastor Neil had talked about, that in First Thessalonians chapter 4, there's going to be a rapture. That the church, this is the church age right now, that those of us that trust in Christ alone, that are born again, that have a living relationship with the living God, we will be taken out before this whole period of destruction happens and this evil one comes on the scene. But for those that remain, that haven't received Christ, there are going to be many in this time of tribulation. And we know from the Bible, this time of tribulation will be seven years Pastor Neil talked about that last week. A matter of fact, it's said in here that there, it's times in verse 25 that this, if you will, this time to hurt God's people will be given for a time, times, and half a time. Time means one year. Times, two years. Half a time, six months. There's going to be a three-and-a-half-year period where this antichrist, this little horn that takes power, is going to hurt God's people. But those people are people that came to Christ during the tribulation time. We as God's saints now can take great comfort in knowing that. But for those of you that don't know Christ, if you're still trying to debate, well, I don't know, you don't want to go into this tribulation period. It's going to be a scarier time than any time in history. Matter of fact, Revelation 13, verses 5 through 7 says, there was given to him, that is the Antichrist, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months, that's three and a half years, was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. And it was also given him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And the authority of every tribe, people, and tongue and nation were given to him. This time will be a terrible time for God's people. But it's going to last three and a half years. And then in verses 26 and 27 says that the court for judgment will be set and his dominion will be taken away. He'll be annihilated and destroyed and then God's going to establish a whole new kingdom and it's going to be given to God's people. And we can rejoice as God's people because we know the promises of God. God's in control. He's got it. And verse 28 says that Daniel was alarmed and that his face grew pale. I mean, wouldn't ears. And what it reminds me of is in... in Revelation chapter 10, verse 10. When John saw the vision, it said he was given the scroll of the vision. He was told to eat it. You guys remember that? And it says when he ate it, it was sweet to taste, but it was sour in his stomach. And I think it's the same picture here. What's the sweetness? God's people will have victory. God will win. Christ will reign. That's the sweetness. What's the sourness? All those that don't know Christ will be judged. Great pain, great death great suffering and the question for you today and the question for me is God in control of your life is he I pray that he is let's close in prayer Father this is a, a lot of stuff in one chapter but we recognize your goodness God in it that Lord you established the kingdoms Lord, you're coming back very soon and you will reign. And Lord, we get to reign with you forever and ever. Father, we thank you that there will be a thousand year reign here on earth as we co-reign with you. And we thank you, Lord, that you've established these things, that you're in total control. But Father, right now, I pray for those who are doubting. I pray for those who are scared. I pray for those that don't really know whether or not they know you that today will be their day, that they will be established in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter seven is written, I think, for two ways. One, hope. For God's people, this gives you great hope because think about all the different centuries, the craziness that's gone on in the world, the evil kings that have come into power and, and how God's people have suffered. But it gives you hope that we know that God's in control and there's coming a day where we'll truly see Christ and reign with him. But it's also given as a warning. And the warning is this. If you're in control of your own life, if you don't think that there truly is a God, and that his son, Jesus Christ, came and lived and died and rose again, then you will stand and go into this tribulation time. You will stand in judgment if you live at the time of the rapture. That's a warning for people to say, you know what, I I need to make a decision. I need to make a turn. I need to put my faith right there in the living one, Christ. So church, I want us to bow our heads and this is between you and God. If you've been in doubt and you know in your heart you don't know Him. Or, You've been living in such a way that you're dishonoring Christ with your life. And you say, Lord, I want to honor you now. This is the prayer for you. Let's bow our heads. Father, I recognize that I have sinned against you. And I have not given Jesus the honor or the glory he deserves. I confess that I'm a sinner in need of your grace. I confess that Jesus lived the perfect life I can't live that he died for me. I believe that he rose again. And I put my faith in him. I trust that his death paid for my sins. And I will walk with him for the rest of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When I think about how God's in control and how he's a lot more active than we think, I think about a man by the name of Dave Kredovitz. Dave was a guy that I used to work with. I was a checker in a grocery store during college. And he was in charge of the load crew, and we became friends. And years later, I'm talking years later, this was now about 17, 18 years ago, I was actually witnessing in an apartment complex not far from here for my church at that time. And when I was done, I was getting in my car, and I heard this, Hey, Rob Miller! And I turn around, and it's Dave Kredovitz, Totally changed from what I remember. He's fully bald. And I was like, wow, Dave Kredovitz. And so we started to talk. And I just realized right then, this is not by chance. God is orchestrating events for me to see him again. And so I invited him over to dinner with his fiance. Then I invited him to an Easter service. And I sat in my car and prayed with that man to receive Christ. And I always thought, that's the way God works, right? We think things are out of control, but God's in control. Give him the glory he deserves, in Jesus' name, amen.